Hi, this is Ricardo, pastor of Journey Church Ventura. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our podcast. Hope you're having a great week. We hope it's life-giving and life-changing. Take care. Our 1040 initiative is all about, right? Finding that person that we can invite, that God is opening us to say to them, please join me. We've been praying for uh, 10 people for 40 days that they would come to know Jesus and getting us out of our comfort zone and using our little cards to invite them to come be part of what God is doing here. Um, we've been praying different prayers, and today I just want to pray before we start our message, this verse from um, Ephesians six nineteen through 20, which I think speaks very clearly to what we just saw in that video. It's a prayer for boldness in generating and taking opportunities to speak and share the gospel with people. We just pray this first with me that we will be bold and encourage ourselves to invite people to come join us to see what God is doing and what he will do in their lives. Let's pray this. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Please continue to invite people. If you need cards, they're in the lobby. And we would want you to just keep doing it until Easter. And then after Easter, just don't stop doing it. Let's invite people to come see what God is doing in their lives, shall we? Right? Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. I am, uh, I'm Dwayne. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And I am uh, just really glad to be back with you. It's a gift to be back with you uh, in the building. My first time in the building since, uh, my, I think, January of last year. As we're here to celebrate the first anniversary of 15 days to slow the spread. Congratulations for that. We made it, guys. In spite of all that we faced, whatever uncertainty we've dealt with regarding our health, our finances, our country, the one thing that we've all been able to lean on during this time is to trust in every step of the way, and that's Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for my faith in times like these. Uh, if I had to lean on my own strength or my own understanding, I'd be, uh, it'd be rather scary. Uh, Rob and my wife and I were just talking about this week. It's about the fact that um, when it comes to these more tense moments in life, I'm not the best at handling them. I know I'm a pastor, and yes, I 100% do believe that God is working and he has a plan for my life. But in these moments of uncertainty, these times where we've been for the last year, they're not where I'm the best and shining example. You see, I know the outcome is going to be amazing, and I know God is going to be doing something awesome, and I know what he wants to do is, is just right. After all, we know that he promises to complete the good and perfect work that he began in us. But that in-between moment, when we're caught, uh, what I like to call, in between the now and the not yet, I do not like that place. When it comes to that place, I'm kind of like the kid in the back seat of the car. God's uh, at the wheel. He's driving down the road, taking me to this great destination that he's been planning on for a while, and I'm sitting in the back, kicking the seat, and asking, are we there yet? No. Okay. A few minutes later, are we there yet? No. Okay. What about now? Are we there yet now? Now? God doesn't do what my dad did, which was to reach behind the seat and smack my leg and remind me that if he didn't stop, he was going to turn this car around and take us home. He said that. He never did. We never went back because we were already 100 miles away from home. Why is he going to do that? Come on, dad. I figured that out when I was young. Uh, no, God is like the song says, the worship song. He's a good, good father. And he has my best. He has your best um, at heart. So I'm sitting in the backseat looking out the window with no idea what the plan is. God says, I'm taking you to a great place. You're going to love this place. And I see this little podunk traveling carnival 
in a parking lot at Target, and I tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, that's a great place. And he takes one look and shakes his head and goes, no, 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 we are not stopping there. God knows the traveling carnival may have bright lights and cotton candy, and it's a lot closer and the drive is easier to get to, but it's not the great place. It's not where he wants me to take, it's not where he wants to take me. I, I want to stop for a ride on this uh, tilt-a-whirl, but I have no idea that God is driving me to Disneyland. Of course he doesn't want to stop here. And that's really what today's unlikely moment with Jesus is all about. At the heart of this series, uh, as we've been looking for the last several weeks, it's a reminder that Jesus is never going to allow us to settle. He's not going to allow us to be comfortable and just be okay with what we think is right or the best thing. In each unlikely moment in this series, Jesus, uh, he pushes those he loves to move beyond what is expected, what is accepted. He's in the front seat, driving us away to a better place, refusing to allow us to stop where it's easy. Whether you're on-site or online, if you have your Bibles, or we're going to read this aloud, but open them to the Gospel of Luke, the third book in the New Testament, in chapter 8. We're going to begin reading at verse 40, which says this. On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered about 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus... She touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it. And Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble, and she fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. He told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith and she will be healed. When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James, and the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing, but he said, stop the weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew the child was dead. Then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, my child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned and she immediately stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were overwhelmed, but Jesus insisted that they not tell anyone what had happened. This is probably one of the most familiar stories in the life of Jesus. It's one of those stories that has it all. It's got a big crowd, big emotions, big drama, and a surprise ending. Why would this be considered an unlikely moment with Jesus when it seems to be full of the things the gospels say that Jesus literally did all the time? After all, how many times do you read about Jesus uh, teaching people, comforting people, healing people? It's kind of the main action of everything he did on earth, right? But like we've talked about, these unlikely moments are supposed to cause us to think about what might be different, what might be unfamiliar, 
will make us pause for a moment and ask, what is God trying to get me to understand here? In fact, let's pray and ask God to help us understand here. God, will you help us understand what you want to say today? As we look at these verses, which may be familiar to us, whether we've heard them for the first time or whether it's a brand new story to us, God, there's something that you want us to hear here today, something applicable from this moment in time, from your life here on earth, for us today in the year 2021. May we hear what you have to say to us, God. May we be open to what the Spirit wants us to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So to understand this, we have to start at the beginning. And I don't mean at the very beginning. We're not going to go back to in the beginning, God created that. We're not going back that far. So don't worry. We've got to go back to, the, to where we start with the story, which is Jesus just getting back into town. He's uh, been doing some pretty incredible things on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He arrives by boat, and there's this huge crowd of people. They're already there. They've, they've been waiting. The Bible says this crowd has been waiting for him. The verse says they welcomed him, which is nice. But the Amplified Bible gives it a bit more context and says for they had all been expecting him. He left town for a couple days, and the people couldn't wait for him to come back. They were looking forward to Jesus showing up. This is what expectation is, right? You're looking forward to something. that You can't wait for it to happen. And here's this huge crowd just filled with people who know that Jesus is going to show up. He's going to do something because that's what Jesus does when he shows up, right? Have you prayed and asked Jesus to show up in your situation? And then you're suddenly surprised when he does. We pray, dear Jesus, please help me in this. And then he does, and we look around and say, whoa, Jesus, where did you come from? I didn't expect that. And I'm sure he just wants to shake his head and say, didn't you just ask me to be here in this situation with you? Didn't you ask me to be here? Why are you surprised? An unlikely moment with Jesus sometimes begins when he does exactly what he says he's going to do. He told the people he's going to come back, and they're waiting expectantly for him to return. In fact, they're so excited about seeing Jesus that they push in as close as they can to get to see what will happen next, to hear him better and and understand what he's going to say. When Luke, who's the author of this gospel, says that the crowd surrounded him, he's using a phrase that means it was like Walmart on Black Friday and there was only three special TVs left. (laughs) The people were crushing in around him. I'm not used to that kind of an encounter with Jesus. I mean, besides the obvious fact that he's not physically here for us to crush around him, I don't really understand a situation where people are so excited about encountering Jesus that they will literally storm the gates to get close to him. I've been a pastor for a long time, um, and I love the churches that I've been pastoring now. I love you guys, but not one of them have I ever seen standing room only crowds just bursting to see what Jesus is going to do. Imagine if this room was full of people like that. Well, that's what's going to happen if we keep inviting everybody, right? This place before people going, Jesus, we're here. Are you going to show up? And Jesus shows up. We're like, whoa, that's amazing. We can't be surprised by it, but crushing in, getting close to it. So imagine this crowd. They're full of excitement. They're full of energy, full of people acting like, uh, oh, like it's Disneyland when it finally gets to open. The crowd just stand at the gates. When can we see Mickey Mouse? When can we see Jesus? Imagine that. Wow. I like Mickey a lot, but Jesus, come on. Something happens when that starts. And that's what I love about this story, because verse 41 says, then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. The phrase leader of the local synagogue should read more like, uh, like president. Um, 
so he was basically the guy in charge of everything that happened for the synagogue. He did all the glad handing. Hello, nice to see you today. He made sure the council people were doing their thing, making sure people handing out alms and taking care of. He, got, he had the business of overseeing everything that happened with the, with the center of, of, of all the dead. And Jairus uh, was well aware of Jesus and who he said he was. In fact, Jesus had, te- had taught at this very synagogue. He'd opened the book of the law and read it and said, today this is fulfilled in front of you. And uh, Jairus, and everyone's like, hmm, okay. But Jairus knew who Jesus was. He'd seen the miracles of healing. He'd seen the deaf, he'd seen the blind, the lame. The paralyzed man lured through Peter's roof that went home walking, probably attended the same synagogue. So he was an important person in the local economy. And the fact that he came to Jesus says much about his situation and his faith. You see, Jairus falls at Jesus' feet and pleads with him to come home with him. This isn't the kind of pleading your dog gives when he wants your attention. It's not the kind of pleading you get from your kids when they really, 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 really want something. Please, Daddy, I really want Daddy. It's that I'm lost. I have nothing left. Can you please, please help me? Verse 42 tells us why. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. His 12-year-old daughter lies on her deathbed. We don't know what the cause was, but we do know that it's reached the point where hope is lost. A cure cannot be found, and the only thing this father has left to do is to run in faith and fall down at the feet of Jesus and say, please, please. I have not been in that same situation as Jairus. I've never been close to losing one of my own children. And even the worst health scare I've ever had, oh, is personally being told that um, I need to lose some weight and uh, lower my blood pressure. Which, hey, they work well together. So I can't relate to this moment personally. I'm like, I've never been quite there. Emotionally, though, I've been there. Maybe you've been there, too. A few moments in your life where your situation seemed too far gone and hope too far away. Maybe you've been at the edge of the precipice, looking down into a darkness of fear and worry and loss and pain, and you know that if you keep going, it's over. But if you just stop and fall on your knees, oh, you stop because the pain is too great. The fear is too big. And the loss is just too overwhelming. This, that's where Jairus is. He pleads with Jesus to come and see his little girl. It shouldn't surprise us at all that Jesus helps the man to his feet and begins walking with him to his home. The contemporary Jewish Bible describes it this way. He went with crowds on every side, virtually choking him. The pace can't be good with that many people. And Jairus knows that time is of the essence. Can you just picture the situation? He's trying to hurry Jesus along. It's, it's not far. <laughs> come this way, Master. Yes, yes. Please, can we walk a little quicker? Can we, can we come a little... F- Hey, Jesus, I'm so glad you're coming with me, but can we pick up the pace, please? The crowds close in. They're jostling, touching, pushing. A little girl is dying. Will Jesus get there in time to heal and save her life? Tune in next week. No, you don't have to tune in next week. We're going to get to that point. And that's when the most unlikely moment in this story actually happens. As Jesus is pushed by the crowd, pulled by Jairus, and everyone is hurrying to what might turn out to be the biggest thing yet in Jesus' ministry, Jesus stops. He stops walking. He pauses. He looks around. And verse 45 says, Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denies it. Okay, that's the first problem with that right there. The Bible is saying everyone's crowding, everyone's jostling, and everyone's like, oh, I didn't touch you. 
That's like your kid when you know they obviously did something. Did you do that? No, I didn't do it. I saw you do it. The crowd's literally choking. The crowd is everywhere. I, no, we didn't touch you. And Peter's like, uh, Master, Jesus, are you a little crazy? Because it, literally everyone is touching you. But Jesus shakes his head and says, no, no, that's not it. Someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. The word deliberately is the key word there. Yes, Jesus is pressed by the crowd. He's being slammed into, pushed, jostled, you name it. But all of that pushing and pressing is just the hustle and bustle and noise of people. Sometimes we get so busy in life, even when we've been quarantined and can't go out as much as we'd like, we get busy, right? We have daily things, and we have work and family, and then we have bills, and we have jobs. We have to watch this online. We have to do this thing. We have to do that. And all of a sudden, the stuff captures our time, and we know we're supposed to include God in that. So we push him into the mix to ensure that he knows we're following him. But there's very little purpose in it. You see, our faith has to be deliberate. It needs to be purposeful. It needs to be filled with the expectation that when we are with Jesus— he will do his good work in our lives. Who touched Jesus with deliberateness? Who reached out and placed a hand on him with such purpose that it caused it to stop what he was doing? Oh, verse 43. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe on his robe, and immediately the bleeding stopped. Constant bleeding sounds just horrific. I, um, I cut my hand this week. I was making um, guacamole. And my wife was on her way. My wife was at work. My kids were all somewhere else. And we only have one car. And um, I'm in the house and I'm making guacamole and I cut the avocado and I go to do that cool thing where you put the knife into the pit and you pull it out. And I put the knife into the pit and it slipped right in and went right into my hand. And I'm like, ha! Ah! And I probably could have gotten stitches, but there was no one home. And so I just, you know, like guys do, we just wrapped it up. I'm like, I'm bleeding profusely. And I'm like, as I was writing this sermon, I could think of this. I just saw the blood in my hand like, oh my gosh, that's horrible. And only bled for like an hour. But constant bleeding? I would be like, I'm passing out. I mean, if this was me, if I was this poor woman, I'd be on the, ah, pass out, ah, pass out. So I can't even imagine how horrible this would be. But in context of Jewish society and the time, this is a billion times worse. According to the law in the book of Leviticus, chapter 15, verses 25 through 27, if you want to look it up, excessive blood flow made a woman ceremonially unclean. Any furniture she touched was unclean. If other people touched anything she had touched, then that's unclean. This meant that she was very, very, very alone. No one could be around her. She couldn't go out in public for fear of touching people. She couldn't be hugged by her family. You think one year of quarantine was bad? Imagine spending 12 years of your life rejected and outcast because of a health issue that you had no control over. And it wasn't through lack of trying. She, she'd spent every penny she had on doctors and cures. The Gospel of Matthew tells us that, that she spent everything the Talmud, which is a rabbinical book that helped Jews understand how to live out the law, shares at least 11 possible cures that she could try. 11 cures, one for each year, until the money finally ran out and the doctors said, it's uncurable. 
outcast, alone, exhausted. Jesus is on his way to do an amazing thing. He's on his way to save a little girl's life. This little girl is the daughter of one of the most important people in town. But he stops because this unnamed, unclean, unwanted woman touched him with what? With purpose. In defiance of the law, she's in the middle of the crowd. Every single person she touches is now unclean. Remember, there's nobody not moving together. This, giant, this, this crowd is a giant, jostling, choking people. And there she is in the middle of it all, jostling with you just to touch the robe. Every person she's touched is now completely unclean, which means they can't go to the temple. They have to say, it's like COVID Mary's walked into the building. <laughs> unclean. She pushes through all of this because her desperation has overcome her fear, her loneliness. So she touches just the fringe. She doesn't try to reach up and just grab Jesus' whole coat. She's like, if I could just touch just the hem, the little tiniest part of his garment, then I will be healed. She'll no longer be an outcast, no longer be alone. And this is the thing I love about Jesus. He is irresistible. It's one of those phrases that we use around here about this idea of being in an irresistible environment because we want people to be drawn to him. Well, Jesus himself was irresistible. People could not help but get closer to him. When everything else in her life pushed her away, his mere presence calls out to her. And when she felt she had nothing left, she couldn't help but run to him. I think this is why in this story, this unlikely moment, this is why it's in the Bible. To remind those of us who follow him, who say we are Christians, that we are supposed to share the irresistible presence of our God to our world. Not so we can feel good about ourselves. Hey, good for me, I'm irresistible. But so someone in need, someone who is hurting, that they can't help but run to Jesus. Verse 46, Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble, and she fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. There's the catch. She'd hoped to do it anonymously. She thought she could just sneak in on Jesus, be healed, and like walk away. <laughs> but that's not how God works. God doesn't want a moment with us to patch us and send us back to the life we've always lived. Jesus knows someone reached beyond their pain with purpose, and that causes him to stop everything. It causes God himself to stop in his tracks. He won't move on until he acknowledges her. She knows she's healed. Not only does the Bible say this, but if you've been bleeding, bleeding constantly for 12 years, you know when it stops. Her moment of triumph is now her moment of fear because Jesus doesn't let her just walk away. She's nervous now, fearful again. She falls to her knees in front of Jesus oh no, he caught me. I'm going to get rejected again. I mean, I know I'm healed, but ugh, I did the unthinkable. I touched God. The whole crowd hears her explain what had happened. Yes, she just witnessed to these people. Maybe one of the first testimonies ever given to the saving power of Jesus Christ happens right here in this moment. Why? Well, because he looks at her she can't help but share what happened. She knows her faith was just one small part of the situation, but it was Jesus' power that did the work that saved her life. The entire crowd hears her confession of faith. You did it. I touched you. You healed me. 
Crowd, Jesus did this thing. And Jesus' response is like, yeah, I knew this was going to happen. Good job. Good faith. No, daughter, your faith has made you well. Yeah, my healing power did it, but if you hadn't touched me in faith, nothing would have happened. So go in peace. Go in shalom. Go in greatness. Go in favor. Live your life. The 12 years you've been an outcast and a reject, they're gone. All your sin is gone. You are now made well. Yeah, amen. In that moment, one of the most important people in town has to stop and wait for one of the least important. Even in this moment of crisis, Jesus reminds us that God doesn't care about our influence, our position. He doesn't differentiate between social status or zip code or body odors. You know. Every single person matters. Every single person gets his attention. And when anyone is in a moment of crisis, Jesus will stop and meet their need. I love that. It's taken so long now, though. (laughs) Remember the beginning of the story? Jairus with his daughter that's dying? Jairus looks up and sees something he doesn't want to see. A messenger from his home approaches. He told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. The little girl is no longer dying. She is dead. Jairus' shoulders slump. His mind is probably racing with thoughts and questions. The biggest being, why did Jesus stop? In the middle of the biggest crisis of his life, God pauses. In the moment when Jairus needs God to hurry the most, God stops. I have been in that place, I think. Sometimes when I want Jesus to really hurry up and show that he's busy doing something and he's going to work and fix my situation, I feel like he's just stopped. I feel like I can't hear his voice. God, are you there? There, there, there. You're so far away, away, away. All the hope and joy I had when I cried out for him, God, you're going to save me. God, you're going to fix this. Are you there, God? It's gone. He feels very quiet in that moment. Maybe you felt like that. Why did Jesus wait? Why did he make a big deal about the crowd and the power going out of them? Why did he have to stop and talk to the healed woman and make her tell her story? Why did he do this? Why, why God, why? Jairus is asking this. He knew Jesus could heal his daughter. That's why he went to Jesus. But bringing her back to life, that's a whole different thing. You see, we know more about Jesus now than they did. In this moment, Jesus had never done anything like that. Jesus taught people, he told parables, he did miracles, and he healed people. He didn't bring people back from the dead. That wasn't his thing yet. What went from a problem that God could solve has now turned into a problem in a situation where there is no solution because God stopped. But when Jesus heard what had happened, (laughs) I love the Bible, but when Jesus heard what had happened, hey, you think God's quiet, God's not doing something? But when Jesus heard what's happening in your situation, he says to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith and she will be healed. This has to surprise Jairus and the messenger from his house who just told him that his daughter was dead. Jesus smiles, puts a hand there on Jairus' shoulder and says, hey, it's going to be okay. She'll be, she'll be healed. Did Jairus look at Jesus like he was crazy? 
probably, because there's only one way to heal a dead person, and that's to bring them back to life. It's not something Jesus has done yet. Sure, he's done all the healing and all this kind of stuff, but he has not raised someone from the dead. So imagine walking into this house. They arrive at the house. Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the little girl's father and mother. The house is filled with people weeping and wailing. It was a thing culturally. But also, they're sad. A little girl's dead. That's tragedy. That's awful. Especially when, in faith, Jairus goes, hey guys, I know my, he turns to his wife, honey, I know she's sick. I know, but if I go to Jesus and I get him here in time, she'll be healed. Honey, do it. Go do that thing. I race off. Guess what? It's not in time. It's not happening. She's gone. The wife's like, you went too long. Imagine, yeah, you've been there. It took you too long. Why? There's recriminations there, but Jesus is like, well, everyone just calm down. Stop wheeling. Wheeling. <laughs> Weeping. Stop wailing. Put them together, you got wheeling, okay? That's how I did that. She's not dead. She's asleep. He's not using the euphemism there to imply, well, she's actually dead. Well, she's sleeping really quietly. No, no, she's gone. Jesus is like, no, she's asleep. The crowd says, no, she's dead. God says, I know more about the situation than you do. And we laugh because we know better. God says, don't worry, I am in control. We say, no, you're not. God says, don't freak out. I'm going to take care of this for you. And we laugh and we say, too late. Nobody can take care of this now. We're all for Jesus when he's busy at work doing what we ask him to do. But if he takes too long, oh, well, God, I'm sorry, you were just too late. Why did Jesus pause? Why did he wait? Because Jesus wanted to show his disciples, Jairus and his household, the crowd and us, that when we think the situation seems most hopeless, when things seem most impossible, he can do his greatest, most unexpected work. Remember what I said at the beginning. God has a plan to take us to a great place. We are okay settling with something that is just okay. We say, why is it taking so long? Can't we just stop here while God is planning on giving us the best of himself, the best of his healing and his grace and his mercy and his love? Jesus paused and let things go quiet and get a little worse because his plan is always the better thing. Sure, he could have healed a little girl and be thankful for the faith of the synagogue leader. And was like, oh, this is a great moment, God. Good faith, good faith. But instead, Jesus wants Jairus' faith and understanding to explode into the incredible knowledge that Jesus is more than just a good person and a great teacher and a healer. Jesus took the girl by the hand and said in a loud voice, my child, get up! And at that moment, her life returned and she immediately stood up. In that moment, Jesus reveals himself in a whole new way. In raising this little girl from the dead, Jesus revealed that he is God himself. And when he acts, when he works, it literally saves us from death. Jairus' faith helped him know that the outcome would be okay. He knew Jesus could heal his sick daughter. But when he got stuck in the waiting place, as the minutes flew by while he watched Jesus interact with this unknown outcast woman, his faith was tested. He was caught in between the now and the not yet. As he waited in that place, his situation went from tough to impossible. What should have been an easy exercise in faith became something bigger and greater. Jesus loved Jairus' faith. Make no mistake about that. He went with him because of the faith that he had 
that Jesus alone could heal his child. But Jesus wanted to do more than just reward his faith with healing. Jesus wanted this religious leader to see that everyone has value in the kingdom of God. He wanted him to see that even the most outcast person in the world is not beyond the healing, saving power of Jesus. And Jesus wanted Jairus to see that nothing, not even death itself, was impossible for him. Jesus is never going to allow us to settle in our faith. He's never going to allow us to say, oh, I trust the Lord in this, and then not expect us to actually have to do some real trusting. Like Jairus, he wants us to move beyond what is simple and easy, as good as it is. He doesn't want us to stop there, but to take us on to the truly great place that he is preparing. In this unlikely moment, Jesus helps two people's faith grow from acceptable to exceptional. The unknown woman deliberately reached out in faith, and, and she was healed. But Jesus did not tell her to walk away in anonymity. He expected her to share what had happened with the crowd, to tell her story to others so they could see for themselves that even the most unloved and outcast person is never beyond God's grace. Her purpose met Jesus' power, and it changed her life. Her purpose met his power, and it changed her life. Jairus, he also went out in faith, but Jesus didn't rush to get the job done. He took his time. He paused. And while Jairus wanted Jesus to act quickly, Jesus had a different and far greater desire to see this man's faith grow beyond what he dreamed possible. You see, when Jairus' patience met Jesus' plan, Jesus did far more than Jairus could imagine. When Jairus' patience met Jesus' plan, Jesus did far more than Jairus could imagine. So, now it's our turn. The next time we're in the waiting place, the next time we're pausing when we feel like we should be pushing forward, let's remember that where Jesus wants to take us in our faith is far better and greater than the place we are today. Remember, Jesus is never going, um, he's never going to allow us to settle. And is that what we want in our faith? A settled, easy faith? No. We're called to something bigger and greater than that. He's not going to be comfortable and just be okay with what we think is the best or right thing. Like the kid in the back seat, hoping to stop at the traveling tilt-a-whirl, not knowing that his father is driving him to Disneyland. We need to sit back and be quiet and see that where we are going is a far better place than where we are right now. Whatever you're facing today, if you feel like you're waiting to hear from God or that you're hoping he will show up where it seems like he's being quiet, maybe you need to do what Jesus did in this situation. Just pause. Just stop for a moment. Because Jesus is not ignoring you. He's listening. He's, he's listening for your voice. He cares about you. He cares about your concerns, the things that are on your heart today. And he is busy working. He's just refusing to allow us to stop where it's easy. <laughs> Why, God? Can't we just stop? No. Because when we're patient and trust his plan, 
when we're purposeful in trusting his power, he will get us to that good place, that great place, the place that he's had in mind for us all along. Will you stand with me for a moment? And I don't know where you're at today. I mean, I know where you're at. You're here. Maybe you're sitting at home watching online. I don't mean physically. I mean, where are you at mentally, spiritually, emotionally today? Are you in that waiting place? Are you in between the now and the not yet wondering, God, what, what's next? Why am I stuck? Why am I paused? Maybe God is wanting you to trust in his plan, to reach out with purpose to him, to touch him and say, God, I need you today to do something. And guess what? When we do that, he promises that he will do that. When we ask for Jesus to show up, he will show up. He may take his time. It may not come when we're expecting it. It may come in a different way than what we're expecting it. But he will be there just the same. If you're in that space today, my prayer is that you'll, you'll be okay. Waiting. Because he doesn't want you to settle for where you are right now. He has a better, greater, far more wonderful place that he's taking you to. In fact, let's pray about that right now. Will you join me in prayer? And I, I want to pray for you. Maybe if you guys just close your eyes for a moment. And if you're, if you're in that waiting place right now, if you're in a situation in life where you're just like, God, I need you to show up, will you just raise your hand for me? Whether you're home, I'm watching, I can't see you, but make a comment so we can see that. If you're here in the room, just raise your hand for a moment. I, I think God is saying to us all right now that we need to just, in this unlikely moment we're in right now, to trust him. So thank you. Thank you for raising your hand. I appreciate that. Dear Jesus, you see us today. You see us. We are like Jairus. Some of us, we're desperate. We need you. We need to do something. So we've run to you. We've said, come, and you're coming, and we believe that. But you're taking a while, God. God, maybe we're hurting like the woman, and we're, we want to touch you, but we're afraid to. We're afraid of what people might think. We're worried what the crowd might say. But God, help us to reach out deliberately with purpose to grab onto you and to realize that your power will be present when we reach out to see who you are. Father, I pray for anyone in this room who's in that place. Let us be patient. Let us wait. And let us not be afraid to cry out to you, to say, God, be with me now. Be in this place with me. And as long as you have me wait and tarry here, I will wait and I will tarry and I will trust because I know the end is going to be amazing. The road you're taking me on may be crazy. I may not see the path, but God, when I get to the place, I'm going to know it because you're going to say, this is it. This is what I prepared for you. And it's a good place because I am a good, good God. And I love you so much. In fact, God, we love you so much. We're so thankful that you came. We're thankful that Jesus revealed his power here, but even more, he reveals his power to us right now today. Your healing power is present in this place. At home, it's present, God. And if we need healing, God, we reach out to him. We say, God, heal us emotionally, physically, spiritually, God, whatever we need, be who we need you to be when we need you to be exactly what we need you to be. Be Jehovah. Be our God. We thank you. Thank you for this story. Thank you for this moment in your life that witnesses to all of us and helps us see how great and good you are. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to join your journey. And I hope the message made a big difference in your life. And if it did, we just encourage you to go to journeychurchventura.com 
and let us know. Also, be free to share this message with your friends and family. We just love to impact as many people as we can. Once again, thank you for joining us at Journey Church Ventura.